Should Liberals participate in the culture war? Welcome to this special IEA debate. Today's topic is one that has very much dominated our political discourse in recent history, with questions about race, gender and sexuality coming to define very much of what we hear in the media and what is talked about on university campuses uh, and right across society. These questions raise fundamental conflicts on issues of values, beliefs and lifestyle um, and their places in society. But they also raise more specific questions for classical liberals. Can concerns about justice coexist with support for freedom of expression? Uh, should liberals entirely reject identity categories or support individuals freely opting into groups? And then more broadly, should we even be engaging in these topics in the first place? or be focusing on other issues like economic policy. My name is Matt Flesh, I'm the Director of Public Policy and Communications here at the IEA. Today we have assembled a crack squad of IEA staff to debate this topic uh, with an opportunity for opening statements from each speaker in this debate and then followed by a discussion across uh, the, the um, teams. Um, to open us up for this debate, I'm very excited to be joined by Dr. Kristen Emitz, who is the director, or sorry, the, the head of political economy here at the IEA, uh, and he will be speaking in favour of the motion that liberals should participate in the cultural war. Christian. Thank you. First of all, we need to be clear about what it means to engage in the culture war, or more specifically, what it would mean for liberals to engage in the culture war. It doesn't mean that you have to get annoyed every time Harry and Meghan say something. It doesn't mean that you have to start a consumer boycott every time a company sticks a transgender flag on a product. But at the very least, it should mean that we engage in the culture war in so far as it overlaps with economics. And it usually does. The area of overlap is greater than the areas where they are completely distinct. Because at the end of the day, what, what does the culture war really mean? What, what does wokery mean? It is essentially the view that you can split society into uh, oppressed groups and oppressor groups and that there are hidden power structures and so forth. And, um, but what does it mean to say that a group is oppressed in a woke progressive worldview? How do you know whether you are part of an oppressor group or an oppressed group? Well, it is, among other things, a claim about economic outcomes. To say that a group is oppressed means, among other things, that they are doing worse economically than other groups. Uh, that they have maybe lower incomes, lower uh, wealth levels, uh, home ownership rates, whatever it is. These are economic arguments. That's economics. Or more specifically, it's an assertion about how a market economy works. And the assertion is that uh, economic outcomes are not driven by supply and demand, but by power structures in society. That's something that we absolutely should address because that's pure economics. And if that's what engaging in the culture war means, then we have been doing this for quite a while. Uh, one of the first IEA publications that I've ever read was Len Shackleton's book on the gender pay gap. It's now 15 years ago, I think, where he just looks at the, the fashionable idea that the gender pay gap is the result of patriarchal power structures. He just looks at this empirically and he says, no, rubbish. Uh, there are perfectly harmless reasons for the existence of a gender pay gap and it's nothing to worry about. It's got nothing to do with the patriarchy or any such nonsense. And um, what he does there is he engages in what we would now call a culture war issue, but he does it using economic reasoning, economic logic. Uh, if you look at it, it's a very conventional IEA publication in, uh, in terms of its format. Uh, it uses lots of graphs, lots of uh, tables, lots of references to economic journals. So it is pure economics, but it is also a culture war subject. And uh, to me, that publication is the gold standard for how liberals should engage in the culture war. It should not mean that we uh, completely put the economics to one side and somehow um, put on a different hat and do something completely different. Uh, but it does mean we engage with culture war topics using economic logic, economic reasoning and uh, our usual style of, uh, of arguing. 
And then there's also the, the wider issue um, that the culture war is never just about what it says on the tin. So on the, on the tin, it may be about um, transgender issues, about race or about Islam. These are usually the, the hot button issues. But there's also the wider issue of how we should deal with disagreement. Uh, should we try to explain why we think our opponents are wrong? Or should we try to mobilize a mob and try to shout them down? Because that's the way Wokies operate. Uh, and once we've established that it's the latter, once we've established that is the normal way we should deal with disagreements, there is no way that that's going to be confined to culture war uh, issues in the way we currently use the term. That is going to spill over into other areas, including our traditional areas. And that has, in fact, already happened. We did a podcast, I think, last year about the Molly May episode. Uh, Molly May is a, a, a fashion influencer of some sort. Uh, she recorded a podcast where she was asked, it was interview format, she was asked uh, to what she attributes her success. And um, I can't remember her exact words, but she said something, she tried to say something uh, motivational, uplifting. She said, well, it's about dedication, believing in what you're doing, hard work. And then somebody, uh, some of her critics said, wow, that's Thatcherism. And there was a huge backlash and uh, you had a, a left-wing mob trying to cancel her, trying to get her fired. And the reason why I remember this episode is that in terms of the format, that looked very much like a culture war episode. That's usually what happens when somebody talks about transgenderism, about Islam, about race. That it's just that she, she, she hadn't mentioned any of those. Uh, she was talking about an economic subject, and it shows that the, the norms, the debating norms of the culture war have moved on to economics. So it's not about, do we want to engage in the culture war? It's already there. The other side already started it. Perfect. Just over five minutes, Christian. Thank you very much for that excellent introduction to your team's argument. Uh, so now the first speaker against the motion, who will be arguing indeed that Liberals should not be participating in the culture war, is Harrison Griffiths, who is the communications officer here at the IEA. Now Harrison, Christian's just told us that it interacts with economics, that it's inevitably going to touch on to other issues. Why is that not the case? Why shouldn't we be interested in the culture war? Well, I, I think that that's self-evidently correct, that it touches on a wide variety of subjects you can't extricate a social phenomenon from an economic one, they are intertwined. The issue that I take with the culture war is not necessarily the, the issues that it discusses, but the way that it is framed as a discourse. So currently we have basically two sides of a conflict, neither of which are particularly liberal and neither of which we should be very keen to affiliate ourselves with. We should, as Christian says, understand the culture war is here it's already been started and we can't just go and live on some island off Papua New Guinea to get away from it. Uh, there are genuine threats that we should be able to talk about, things like free speech, for example. But my position is that we should uh, assume our uh, defensive position in the face of the culture war, that on issues like government speech suppression, of, of mob violence and whatnot, we should absolutely say, as we always do as liberals, that the government has no right to be policing the words that come out of your mouth, uh, that people should, not be, uh, people should not be exposed to violence for the words that they say or any other type of peaceful activity. The problem is that that isn't exactly the position of the anti-woke left, uh, sorry, the anti-woke right either. Uh, both sides are fundamentally opposed to the idea that we can live in a highly pluralistic society where individuals are the centre of moral consideration. If you have people on the left, like radical trans activists, as Glenn Denny often talks about, trying to suppress people's speech or otherwise undertake illiberal conduct, that is a very bad thing. But if you have the reaction to that on the right, being that the equality of transgender people under the law should be undermined, that people don't have the right to uh, self-actualization, self-expression, then we should also have a problem with them. And so the issue is not necessarily that the culture war exists and we should just try and ignore it, that's self-defeating. It's that we, as liberals, should be trying to completely reframe the issue altogether in order to avoid our principles being diluted by affiliating with either side. Many of the people in this culture war on the left who we are so worried about when it comes to suppression of speech and the like 
uh, are actually arguing for causes that I think liberals should be arguing for, but in a different way. So take gay or trans rights as an example of that. Uh, the left's belief that these people are marginalised and that, that um, society should be more accepting of them and that the government should certainly get out of the way of uh, anything they do uh, is a correct one. The problem then is these bizarre uh, calculuses that Christian talks about regarding oppressed groups and uh, whether they are uh, entrenched eternally and the uh, illiberal obligations on the supposed oppressor groups that need to be created as a consequence of that. Um, we should disagree with that, but we should also not allow ourselves to be affiliated with a group of people who fundamentally dispute the premise that social liberalism is a good thing uh, and that uh, liberalism, uh, liberalism is, a, is a, an idea that disrupts conventional patterns um, and changes uh, along, uh, sorry, and allows social understanding to change and develop and evolve and allows diversity of expression and speech. And so we shouldn't be uh, a sort of reactionary force in this culture war, nor should we affiliate with them. The right, uh, they may not be winning, they may not be high status, but what they advocate is still fundamentally anathema to our values, and we should stay out of it as much as we possibly can. Uh, so thank you very much, Harrison, for your introductory statements against the motion. Um, our next speaker, who is going to be speaking in favour of the motion on, with, uh, on team, with Team Nemitz, um, is our Head of Cultural Affairs, Mark Lundenning, who will be arguing Liberals should participate. So Harrison has just tried to tell us, well, it's self-defeating, you end up aligning yourself with the reactionary forces who are illiberal uh, if you try to fight the culture war. Um, a lot of what Harrison said I agree with, but a lot I disagree with, and I, I, I dispute, and we may come on to this later, the idea that there exists a moral equivalent to what I call call the culture control left, who are the people who are primarily waging uh, the culture war in this country. There is no such equivalent actually on the right of the political spectrum in reality. Um, my starting point is the understanding that culture war represents the attempt to coercively change social practices. So I'm using the broadest definition of culture and so this includes uh, expressions of opinion, the transfer of knowledge, artistic output. And there are two ways in which this is now happening. This culture war onslaught is now uh, developing. The first is being led by the state. The myriad of laws that now exist to enable particularly the police um, to ideologically intervene in our society and to um, affect what is essentially a, an ideological policing role, as we've seen particularly with the transgender um, issue. So, for example, if you were to repeat the Oxford English Dictionary's definition of what it is to be a woman in the Thames Valley uh, policing area, you will be charged with a hate crime um, under the under Section 5 of the Public Order Act. That's just one example. The second way in which uh, cultural freedom is being attacked increasingly is by private organisations like Black Lives Matter, Extinction Rebellion, Antifa, who have given themselves the right to forcibly uh, change uh, or try to change the society uh, within which we live. So what we're seeing is an incremental movement, I believe now, towards a illiberal uh, society, a highly authoritarian one, in which the way in which we socially interact as, as, as individuals um, is being compromised and that there is a dynamic um, within new left thinking which is only going to make this worse because new left thinking following on from postmodernism sees the way in which we communicate and how we interact as a sort of Nietzscheian will to power. Everything is political. Everything is a quest for domination, um, even when there is absolutely no physical uh, aggression 
involved. And so if you start from that fundamentally illiberal place, then in fact what you really want to do is to colonize the entirety of the culture, is subordinate it to state regulation. I don't think the response is for liberals to engage in culture war themselves in that sense, because we have no desire to impose anything on anybody else. We totally respect, of course, the rights of people who fundamentally disagree with us to express whatever they want to. Um, and we don't see the expression of opinion as in itself a form of coercion, which for me is, is the, the key point of uh, this discussion. So what we are about is a what might be described as a sort of cultural contestation of ideas. A culture contest, perhaps, might be uh, uh, an, an alternative to the waging of culture war. But I would just conclude by saying that there may come a time when liberals have to make a decision as to whether they have to engage in full culture war themselves. If the very freedoms we have to express ourselves uh, politically and culturally become so restricted, then it seems to me that the sort of Lockean social contract becomes broken, and that may be um, that may require us to engage in much more direct action forms of politics. But I'll, I'll leave that point for the time being. Well, Mark, thank you very much, and um, be just to come back a little bit later in terms of what that might mean in practice in terms of engaging the culture war. Um, our, our, our final introductory speaker, uh, who is against the motion, who believes Liberals should in fact not be participating in the culture war, is Reem Ibrahim. Uh, Mark has just made uh, an arguably persuasive argument about how um, the, the culture warriors are trying to use power to silence certain perspectives, and that, that must be, from a Liberal perspective, fought back against. What, what do you say? Yeah, I mean, you know, cultural conflict is is nothing new. It's, it's historically always occurred. Uh, the difference now is that, you know, these symbolic issues and questions of identity occupy a much more um, pertinent, much larger space in sort of social media. And with the influence of these algorithms and the way that sort of Twitter and Instagram and, you know, Mark mentioned uh, Black Lives Matter, um, the way that this virtue signaling has been able to um, proliferate online in online spaces I think is is no coincidence and we've, we've seen that explosion uh, happen as well within those like-minded individuals within those algorithms uh, a lot of that is virtue signaling but I think that one of the mistakes that people make when they talk about the culture war is they think that it's something that like it sort of necessarily sweeps up the entirety of society and that everybody in the entire country or the entire world is super invested in these ideas and super invested in the ideas around identity and around uh, around race and around sex and I think that um, this isn't necessarily the case and that I think when we're on, on, in these online spheres we tend to be more engaged with them and um, you know intellectuals tend to be more engaged with those ideas as well. Um, I think that it's more so a dispute between the educated elite and um, uh, the way that these uh, public institutions have been coerced in order to to advocate for these things. Um, there was a recent report by the Policy Institute at uh, King's College London that basically looked at how much this term culture wars has been used and it's been increasingly used um, over the past 10 years. But I think that what's interesting about this is that the state is ground zero for the culture war. I mean, the most influential like sort of purveyors of this woke ideology has been state institutions. So I think that Mark's point about um, the, the, the public sector and educa educational institutions, universities, purveying this, this idea about woke ideology and about uh, restricting freedom of expression, I think that those things are things that we should be engaging in from that liberal perspective. But unfortunately, that isn't the case within current discourse within the culture war. And I don't buy this idea that um, but, but the, you know, the cult, you, we, not, we, we might not be interested in the culture war, but the culture war is interested in us. I think that's accepting defeat. And I think that's saying, actually, we're going to be reactive to the current discourse rather than selling it ourselves. We should be selling it ourselves, and then we should be actually arguing for liberal values uh, without engaging and without having to have an answer to these things. And I think that um, when we're thinking about 
being a libertarian or being a liberal, or, you know, arguing that the state has the propensity to do more harm than good, arguing that you as an individual have the right to identify as, 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 as whatever you wish to, um, that doesn't necessarily dictate your view or your position on these cultural war issues in broader civil society. In a, you know, in a free society, if the state uh, didn't have this, this role in the public sector, I would say, if you would like to argue that uh, a woman is an adult human female, you're completely free to do so. The problem is that this is now implemented in public institutions, but but the, the, the argument on the right, the anti-woke uh, uh, sort of right-wing people generally aren't arguing for these liberal values. They're arguing for an alternative to be argued for within these public institutions. And I'd actually say that no matter what, what, which one of these positions are being argued for, they shouldn't be argued for by the state at all. And it's about withdrawing that. And I think we should be setting an alternative pathway to the cultural rather than just sticking with the current discourse and the current uh, dynamics at play. So, so Christian, I want to um, end our kind of introductory remarks by just uh, having a bit of opportunity to respond to any particular points there. Um, th this topic has come up, uh, I think, from, from both um, Harrison and Green, the question of, is there this risk that liberals get caught up um, taking on uh, a, an illiberal perspective in order to fight the culture war, take on uh, the, a kind of battle stations not against the culture war itself, but on a side of the culture war, that leads you down the path of arguing um, for things that aren't necessarily liberal um, and that we just lean into the culture war rather than trying to be above it and providing alternatives. Mm. Well, there are two separate questions here. Uh, the first one is, should we engage in the culture war at all? And secondly, if yes, on which side should that be? Um, I think there is certainly room for engaging in the culture war without necessarily picking one of the existing sides, but to carve out a distinct liberal position where there is space for that. So for example, last year there was, and it's still somewhat ongoing, there was this uh, culture <coughs> war question about whether transgender athletes should um, be allowed to take uh, to compete in the women's league. Uh, where we did record a podcast on this where uh, I remember my position on this wasn't to say yes or no. Uh, it was more about the question who should make that decision. And uh, I, I was saying the sports leagues themselves should be free to do that. That is engaging with the culture war. But that is also not uh, picking an existing team. It is um, a distinct liberal position on it. It's just that uh, most of the time... If you take a liberal view on culture war issues, you're not going to be in equidistance to uh, the woke progressives and to the anti-woke conservatives. You are going to be somewhat closer to uh, the conservatives, as, at least in this country, because uh, if we had a large Trumpian right, that would be a different story, <coughs> uh, or, or if we lived in Hungary or Poland. Uh, but I would say uh, a lot of the, the conservative anti-woke side here has a a bit of a leave-me-alone feeling to it. It's not that they want to impose specific values, they just don't want to talk about woke issues all the time. And, and that's where there is an overlap uh, in, in sentiment, where they can be uh, almost a bit liberal. And so Harrison, coming, coming back to you on that specific point about whether or not it's possible for liberals to find, I guess, a third way in the culture war. You know, mm. o o what your argument was against was saying very much, I don't believe that we should engage in the culture war on, on the side of using, potentially using state power for authoritarian purposes. But is there not a different way we can engage in the culture war, as um, Christian has been suggesting? Yes, I suppose the, the difference, in my view, from what Christian has just expressed is a bit of a distinction without a difference, or perhaps just characterised in a slightly different way. I think by doing that, the, the, the mere act of doing that undermines what the culture war actually is. We can try and, as I think we should, uh, build this different idea, uh, this different conception of the culture war where it is completely uh, separate from the mode of thinking that's employed on both sides of this, which is everything should be a matter for mass public debate. Every solution should be thought about by me while I drink my coffee in the morning and consider my feelings on this issue I've just learned about and centrally sort of discussed in a one-size-fits-all manner. Um, and thirdly, that in, in a lot of cases, the government definitely should not be doing anything about it. Um, but I think the, the, the problem with that on many cultural issues is that, number one, we know this isn't a, you can't distill 
a culture war down to one country anymore because of the 24-hour news cycle, because of social media, because of just how interconnected the Western world, at least, is generally. Uh, and if we look to America for harbingers of what's to come in the next few months when it comes to the woke left in the UK, well, if we look to the right in America and the doom it might spell for the right in the UK, there absolutely is an equivalent of the culture control left on the right. Uh, in the state of Florida, they have just passed a law, which hopefully won't pass judicial muster, uh, that, would make, that would make you as a parent liable to lose custody of your child if you push them towards engaging in um, uh, transgen uh, sorry, gender reassignment uh, procedures. Uh, and it's not to say there's a massive call on the right to do that in the UK, but you are there's starting... There's no call whatsoever. Well, no, there's not, <laughs> but you are starting to see figures emerge in the sort of GB News area like Calvin Robinson, Lawrence Fox, for example, at the moment still very low status and probably not going to get anywhere, who very much do embrace the conspiratorial thinking and the, the will to power. We need to use the state to fight back against this because the left's going to use the state and politics is about winning, and so we must use the state. And it's certainly an argument that's gained more traction on the right, even if it's not massively widespread yet. And we should be very, very clear to draw you know, big, blue, clear water between us uh, and them. And I think it's, it's, it's vital that we don't slip into that trap, because a lot of people in the US have done so as well. So, so Mike, I want to come back to you here. Firstly, on that main point, you say, obviously, it's not clear that there's as much of a political move in the UK for Ron DeSantis-type laws, not only on trans issues, but you know, the, the Stop Woke Act, uh, also known as the Don't Say Gay Act, potentially limiting what teachers can um, say in class, a lot of interventions on universities in a conservative way. It seems, despite the, the talk about freedom uh, in Florida, that very much there's a sense of using the power of the state to enforce kind of anti-woke precepts. First of all, I want to know, does that worry you at all? Is that something that you would be concerned about and against? And then towards the end of your speech, you mentioned, well, perhaps we need to engage in direct action. Is that the kind of direct action you're imagining or are you envisaging something else altogether? Well, I was, first of all, before I come back to, to um, your question, um, or the, the first part of your question, um, we have a situation now where groups like Extinction Rebellion have given themselves the right, and we'll see this, this forthcoming weekend, the right to take over our streets, essentially. Um, and I think in certain circumstances, the, the good burghers of London have the right to take direct action against them in order to liberate their streets. We saw that when they stopped uh, the trains leaving Stratford Station and the commuters, basically, because the police weren't doing anything, took the law into their own hands, quite rightly. So I think there were particular circumstances whereby private individuals have the right to oppose this proto-authoritarian, proto-fascistic sort of movement that I see emerging on the, the culture control left. Um, when it comes to what um, anti-woke public officials, elected officials like DeSantis in Florida or what have you, should do. Uh, this is a very interesting question because this relates to how liberals perceive the public sector and public sector institutions once they get control of them. So if you have state schools, it seems to me that people with a liberal sensibility can't just sit back and say, we are going to allow the other side complete free reign, which is what is happening in our schools in Britain, whereby one-sided propaganda is being pumped at um, the children of this country. Obviously, as liberals, we ultimately believe that all schools should be independent and so they could, make up, they could determine for themselves what their guiding um, educational ethos was on sexual and other matters. But that is not the reality of where we are at at this moment with regards to the vast majority of schools. So I think it's quite legitimate for publicly elected, broadly speaking, liberal politicians to try to impose on... On, within state uh, institutions, including schools, uh, some attempt at balance and maybe the prohibiting of the expression of certain types 
of values within the parameters of that institution, because these are taxpayer funded oh, bodies. I just want to be clear about your position yeah. here. Would you then support what is effectively the premise of uh, Ron DeSantis's um, anti-worker, which indeed tries to go along that line uh, in Florida? I don't know whether you look particularly closely, mm. but it does try to say there are certain things that schools as public institutions um, effectively should not be taught. Now, I think there's a lot of concern there that, well, if you can't teach about these issues, you're not ha you don't have a full education. If, if you can't you know, even from a, from a liberal perspective, but even whatever your perspective is, these are real issues going on in the world. And students have, shouldn't, obviously shouldn't be indoctrinated, which I, I think yes. is an issue, but they should learn about them and discuss them and think about them, surely. Yes, but what, what happens if, in fact, the teachers who are in control of these schools at any one moment are just imposing one-sided propaganda? Now, it seems to me when it comes particularly to the area of sex, that in fact, if you have a situation in which you can't have a balanced presentation of views, schools then should actually be prohibited from teaching uh, uh, or, or imposing a particular ideological viewpoint. And this should be left to parents and civil society institutions outside of the school to try and, and um, impart knowledge um, to children, but ultimately the solution is a free market one whereby you can have schools with completely competing attitudes towards um, transgenderism and every other type of issue. It, can, I, can I very briefly say this goes exactly to prove my point? What, you are a, 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 an impressively principled liberal man, Mark, and you also, unfortunately, we at the IEA, we in the liberal movement don't have a, a sniff of power, and already you're making calculations about, well, if the government already does this, we should, I mean, you might make the pragmatic case, well, the government does already do this. Well, yeah, it might be quite far off, uh, the idea of, of, of getting the government out of education, but it is possible, and we should advocate purely on that, question well, the entire premise. And I know that's fundamentally what you want, but like, no, there should be no vanguardism. There should be no in the meantime. It should be get the government out now. It can't be Ron DeSantis' censorship, uh, and it can't be Gavin Newsom's censorship. Really? Yeah, because I, th I think that you know we're obviously against uh, taxpayer money being used to advocate for these particularly controversial beliefs um, in the first instance. But I think that Harrison touches on a very important point there, that as soon as we start going down this, well, in the meantime, uh, I would like to see uh, freedom of expression be upheld within uh, the public sector, within these schools. Actually, what happens then is we get this alternative, more authoritarian version of uh, the, the anti-woke uh, uh, sort of agenda that we see at the moment so there are two sides in the culture war and I think that no matter how we engage uh, within those arguments unless we are arguing purely from the, from the perspective of I want the state to be staying out of this and then we let people have that cultural conflict outside of the state within civil society as soon as we start arguing for these things in the meantime within state public institutions I think that we completely lose the argument and we lose the liberal debate. Christian I want to, I want to bring you back in on this point because this seems like a, a slightly different issue to the ones that you were more directly engaging in, in your remarks. Now, you're very just in engaging in the kind of economic policy questions that come out of the culture war. Are you in the same way interested in, uh, as Mark seems to be open to, forcing schools not to teach certain subjects because they might be too woke on them? No, I wouldn't do it in that way. Uh, but you certainly have to engage in the in the meantime logic unless you believe that the privatization of schools is just around the corner. Uh, I mean these ideas Milton Friedman wrote about his education vouchers in the 60s uh, already and we've seen only baby steps in that direction. Uh, for the rest of our lifetime there will be state schools and uh, we need to take a view on how they operate. And I don't think it's that much of a it's, it's that big a deal to say yes you, you can teach those issues those issues but uh, if you bring <coughs> black lives matter materials to the classroom then you also have to bring something from a competing you side in, in the way. so well into the classroom <laughs> uh, ideally yeah. well i mean uh, there, there are yeah. schools that invite us but i'm sure uh, they wouldn't just have us they would also uh, at least try to invite someone yeah. from from a left-wing thing yes thank quite you. rightly um so christian i want to move on the bed a little bit which is something that you kind of talk and write about quite a lot, the sense of like high status, low status, what, what are high status opinions, low status opinions. Something that I think is a, a genuine kind of strategic question for an organization 
uh, or people involved in the organization like the IEA, is by engaging in those cultural questions, are you undermining your ability to reach broader audiences on the kind of, I suppose, bread and butter economic issues? So does talking about trans mean that we get ignored when we talk about the planning system? Uh, does talking about Black Lives Matter issues mean that we, we can't engage as much on financial regulation because we just get pigeonholed into what some might consider a, a low status opinion? Is, is that a bit of a risk of taking a, a firm stance or engaging in the cultural mm. issues? It is, yes. But that doesn't strike me as a reason for not doing it. I'd say it would be a bit cowardly if we said, okay, there, this uh, here's an issue where liberal principles are clearly under threat, but let's not talk about it because that's a bit low status and we might be on the same side as uh, a GB news presenter. How horrible would that be? <laughs> no, then we have to say, well, if we if that uh, this is the right thing to do, if that means that if that's considered low status, if that's considered a gammon argument, so be it. Uh, sorry, Harrison, engage on principle or not? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, uh, but uh, just to signal the point of agreement between Christian and I there, I think um, even though our movement is tragically small at the moment, one of the advantages of that is division of labour. Um, if, if Mark can bring an audience on board from the, the sort of culture war right, that's an excellent thing. If I can talk to some weird commies about something I agree with them on and they maybe listen to us, if Christian can talk about housing, if Julian can talk about inflation and the independent, then uh, yeah, all's good, division of labour and you know, we don't know what the perfect way forward is so we should try all of them. Do you think we also do sort of risk ostracising a, a huge amount of people that we probably could convince to the Liberal side? I mean, I think that when we are talking about um, these sort of what we might call the low status culture war issues, actually we totally um, ostracise a huge number of especially young people that are yeah. uh, more socially liberal that could potentially want to adopt more free market views but I think that actually we entirely ostracize them and as soon as we start talking about our views on um, what a woman is or, or on, on Black Lives Matter or whatever it is in, in the public sector we totally uh, ignore those people and actually they, they could they could otherwise be be taken on board with the free market <laughs> argument. Yeah, but that's why we need to always make clear there is a qualitative difference uh, between socially liberal and woke. And there, there is a very clear dividing line. You can be socially, you can be extremely socially liberal without being woke in the slightest. And uh, we, I, I don't see a risk that we end up on, on, uh, on the side of, well, on, or that we, that we blur that line. Uh, I've, I've never seen anyone from this building here um, engaging in the culture war in a in a way which risks uh, coming across as non-liberal. And also we're, the fundamental point here is that real liberalism is, is a meta-philosophy. It is not a philosophy of life. It doesn't seek to impose content in terms of lifestyle and belief and cultural activity or sexual activity on other human beings. That is what makes us uniquely different from authoritarian, small-c conservatism, um, socialism, fascism, anarchism. All of those are ideologies that seek in maybe in different ways to impose particular ways of life and belief upon other human beings. So our approach to these issues, as Christian has just said, is uniquely different. It's a uniquely different ideology, and we have to explain that at some point to people who might, in a simplistic sort of enemies and friends type of mentality, either you're with me or against me, we have to, as it were, go non-binary. We have to say, <laughs> look, the alternatives are not authoritarian conservatism um, of one type or another, or wokeism on some particular issue, it's actually a qualitatively different intellectual approach. And that is what we have. Is the problem then that libertarianism lacks a moral philosophy? I mean, we, we essentially argue, don't hurt me, don't touch my stuff. 
and that's it and that's all we that's all we care about when it comes to the state and within the sort of culture within the free society you're able to uh, sort of choose the kind of morals or values that sort of things like integrity or, or self-respect or, or, or selfishness things, uh, you know, arguments that objectivists like Ayn Rand um, argued for that sort of within this free society you're able to then pursue your own happiness as well but libertarianism in itself we you know sort of you, you can have an opinion you can be a libertarian and be a Christian missionary or a, or a Muslim imam but that's completely well, separate well to indeed some, some of the I suppose cultural conservatives would, would argue that Liberalism only works within a culturally conservative mm. context. That you know the reason why America was so successful was because it combines a kind of a liberal meta politics with uh, religious undertones and values. Um, and now that's being lost today, and that's why the woke left has risen as a response to that. Well, I mean, conservatives often make that attack uh, upon liberalism, but I think it's unfounded. It's just a sort of cheap shot because. You don't have to believe in God or behave in a, a traditionally religious way in order to live a liberal life in which you respect the right of other people um, to do their own thing and to go to hell in their own way. <laughs> um, so, so Christian, another issue which I think there can be a, a potential tension here, which is when criticising, uh, I suppose, woke methods or some woke claims, that you become downplaying or you lose the kind of social liberalism that might be at the heart of a, of a, a liberal worldview. So you start you know, losing that respect for concern about racial injustice or uh, trans people's rights or um, any other kind of sort of maybe abortion or the environment or whatever else are the cultural issues we think about. Does that kind of worry you as a concern if, if we go down this, I suppose, anti-woke third way that's still, as you've said, more anti-woke than it is uh, pro-woke? Well, it would have 30 years ago, uh, but, I mean, we now have a situation... It's, it's always worth mentioning that in a situation where the state really does discriminate against particular groups, there can absolutely be a coalition of liberals and woke progressives. Uh, so when I first got interested in politics, I remember one of the issues at the time, late 90s, was gay marriage, where I found myself on the same side. Uh, having just discovered liberalism, I found myself on the same side as uh, woke progressives. Well, I wouldn't have called them that at the time, but proto-woke progressives and uh, thought it was a bit odd. Uh, I, I, I didn't like these people, but uh, mm -hmm. on, on that issue we were on the same side and that's uh, what liberalism was like. That's uh, because at, at the time the state still did say uh, marriage is only for straight couples uh, and in that way discriminated against a particular group in society. If you have that situation, you can absolutely have um, a coalition of, of progressives and liberals. And that's why historically, if we look back, that's why a lot of liberals, uh, when they criticize feminism, always make clear uh, no problem whatsoever with first wave feminism because that was still what you could call liberal uh, or, or even second wave when, uh, when it was about, okay, there's equality uh, between the sexes on paper, but does it really always work that way? That's still, these are concerns that a liberal can share with a progressive. It's just that once you have a situation where we really have equality before the law and it's not just on paper, it, is, it works that way in actual practice, I'd say the difference between a liberal and a progressive is that the liberal knows when to stop. And now is the time when but she I, I, is, it, is it time to stop on those issues? No. Um, I think this is actually fundamentally the point of contention um, in these debates, is well, where do you see the status quo? Uh, Christian is right that there was much more of an imperative 30 or 40 years ago to take up some of these social issues and, and agree with the commies on them. But... <laughs> Uh, I think you're wrong to say that there's still not a hell of a lot of work to do, not just in the social sphere, which uh, should concern us, but doesn't specifically concern liberalism as, the, as an ideology, but also in the policy sphere. So take the Equality Act, for example. Um, it's a pretty progressive piece of legislation that invents a load of uh, rights, i.e. Uh, coercive obligations uh, on people uh, in accordance with a, a very left-wing interpretation of what uh, equality under the law is. It's bad and it should be repealed whole, entire and perfect. 
the problem with what with the problem with uh, the culture wars we have it now is that the the right is not, of course, even close to as taken over by the Trumpian populism as in the United States or in Hungary or, or whatever. Uh, but there is, but the the right, in my view, tends to be either one of two things. It's either a very nasty, pernicious, uh, discriminatory force that's uh, incredibly reactionary, incredibly active, or it's the sort of progressivism driving the speed limit type of conservatism. Both bad, but bad in different ways. And what we have in the UK is the right is mostly progressivism driving the speed limit. And so what we have now, when uh, difficult questions are raised on the trans issue when it comes to the rights, uh, the rights of women under the Equality Act, we should be right in there saying this whole thing's got to go whole and entire and perfect. Might not happen, probably won't happen, but we should be making that claim very strongly, not saying in any way what side of the issue we're actually on. However, what we've got now and what people who are at least adjacent to our movement are starting to hail is Kemi Badenoch saying they're going to clarify the definition of biological sex. This is miserable. And that's one of those things that needs to, to actually actively change and that we, we need to um, push for in, a, in, a, in an active sense rather than try to conserve. If everything was good and the Wokies were trying to destroy it, we should look in a defensive way to conserve what we already have. But there is still work to be done in a variety of areas. Um, I mean, police, prisons, war on drugs, all of that stuff. Uh, still needs to be done, and we should not pigeonhole ourselves uh, into this group with people who are in no way aligned with us on, on issues like Mark, that. Can I bring you in on this point about how we can, I suppose, balance that underlying liberal approach to individuals um, with their rights to form groups and, and be part of certain identity categories, um, whilst at the same time being uh, anti-work or critical of, of work excesses and... and uh, authoritarianism, as, as you so argued? Well, individuals in a liberal society, of course, will get together in, you know, churches or, you know, sporting organisations or what have you, uh, and within corporations. Um, so obviously liberals don't have a problem with people getting together cooperatively. And again, that's another sort of line that, you know, uh, certain types of conservative uh, use against libertarians and liberals. Oh, you don't believe in, you know, the family, or you don't believe in <laughs> social, social or, or community. And, you know, they, they come out with, again, this, you know, clearly ridiculous accusation, because liberalism is about the right of individuals to interact through the spontaneous um, order, so long as those groups, uh, and, you know, in a liberal society, you have a right <coughs> to associate, but also to disassociate if, you know, you want to hang out only with people of a certain type. Um, and, you know, you should be free to do that, so long as you're not actually seeking to impose anything on the rest of us. And doesn't this go back to, I mean, Hayek's why I'm not a conservative? I mean, Christian spoke about this coalition between these uh, various different political cleavages. Hayek ended that essay arguing that, you know, for the meantime, conservatives and liberals are in coalition with one another, and that coalition is, is to fight against socialism. I, at the moment, don't see that happening. I don't think that the culture war, and I think engaging in the culture war completely disintegrates that coalition and, and, and that argument against socialism. Why does it? I don't quite follow you. But because when we because we're, we're in coalition with the Conservatives, the Conservatives are in, in, with these cultural issues arguing for, for more state intervention and you to oh, use the state right. to combat the culture, uh, the, the, these cultural changes, these cultural arguments. I actually think that this coalition is um, sort of in short form, we should sort of very much so separate ourselves from these Conservatives because I don't think that Conservatives and Liberals should be in coalition with one another forever. I mean, you, could, in, you, in pro it, you probably said the most viciously anti woke. Um, constituency on the right are the kind of national conservatives who quite explicitly seem to reject free market economics as, as one of their core tenets. Yes, they do. And in, in a way, OK, that's, that's just them. That, that's fine. I mean, you know, and the same with socialists. But it, 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 it doesn't mean that we as individuals or organisations like the IEA shouldn't form coalitions with people who on particular issues, primarily relating to the, 
the culture war issues we've been discussing, that we shouldn't form sort of popular fronts and alliances with people, whether they come from the traditional left, who don't, a lot of the traditional left do not, of course, like this kind of woke uh, stuff, or indeed national conservative types, where they are prepared to adopt, adopt a, um, a liberal position even if they're not liberal in the round. Otherwise, yeah. we're just, you know, we're, 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 we're just operating as a sect. Christian? Just to add to that, a lot of conservatives nowadays, uh, and that's maybe peculiar, that's, that's part of the, uh, the political realignment that our colleague Steve Davis talks about. Uh, nowadays, there's a lot of conservatives who aren't really interested in economics. They're primarily motivated by cultural issues. Uh, and the ones that don't care that strongly about economics, uh, if we don't engage them, the national conservatives will. They will tell them, look, we are on the same side of the culture war, therefore you should also adopt our economics, which is anti-liberal, anti-free market. It's better if they get their economics from us than from that other lot. Harrison, are we sacrificing too many people who are genuinely interested in the culture war by not engaging with it, and then we might lose them on the economics as well? I mean, I think if you want to just I mean, accepting the premise of that question if you just want to broadly balance the benefits of looking towards one side, reaching out strongly where we agree with them and hoping they agree with us on the other side. I think it's, there's much more opportunity to do that on the left by fully embracing social liberalism and going not, you know, woke as in because we want to, we want to, we want to yeah. de-platform you or anything like that, but, but by, by leading with... Yeah, we are really socially liberal. We are very. We believe in a very tolerant, open society. We love immigration. We love gays. We love all of that stuff. Then uh, I think if 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 it's possible to get someone to follow on with your economic or social views from agreeing with you on the other, I think we should absolutely reach out to the left and not the right. They are disproportionately old. They um, are, I think, not really ever. There aren't many of them already, and I don't think they are, in fact, ever going to accept our economics. Because, uh, as you say, like oh, they don't care that much about the issues, and we'll go on Mike Graham or Patrick Christie's and say our stuff, and they'll go, yeah, I'm just going to outsource my views to him because he's on GB News, and I like GB News, and he seems rather sound. Okay. But the problem is I don't think that actually translates to people's views on economics when the economics really matters to them. So I think if you go on and talk about, I don't know, like what... Uh, 3% cut in corporation tax rate might do. They'll be like, yeah, that sounds great. You know, um, anyone who wants a 25% corporation tax hates England and hates Brexit. Great. Uh, but then if you start trying to talk to them about the energy price guarantee, for example, I think they will go back to their instinctively statist and central planning sort of intellectual roots when they say, well, here are the high prices. And we can go in there and say, well, prices are a mechanism which signals blah, 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 blah. and the government shouldn't control prices for X, Y, and Z reason. But they're like, yeah, no, I'm suffering now. Yeah, I mean, you need to make the case more broadly. You can't say to them, well, yeah, I hate the Wokies as well. And yeah, by the way, Hayek said this about prices. <laughs> <laughs> well, OK, I'm not saying that you can convert uh, everyone on, on the conservative right that you talk to into a full-on Friedmanite or a full-on Hayekian. But there will still be issues where they don't immediately have an instinctive response. And there, it does matter whether uh, they're more likely to get their economic views from us or from a national conservative. So unfortunately, we're, we're coming to time, but I did want to give everyone the opportunity uh, to give some final closing remarks in a, a minute or so. Any final thoughts? Um, we'll, we'll go in the same order we, we started in. So the, the topic of today's discussion, of course, is should liberals participate in culture wars? Christian, why is that so? Well, I accept that uh, engaging in the culture war is slightly odd for liberals because normally, um, as you said, uh, liberalism is, is a meta-philosophy. We normally don't tell, uh, we normally don't comment on what individuals do in their private lives or what uh, private organizations do. Uh, engaging in the culture war means that we would have to do that. We would um, say if a, a university decides to deplatform someone or, or sack someone because they said something unwoke, uh, we would take a view on that and be judgmental. We would not say, oh, okay, you're a private organization, you can do what you like. Uh, we would say the liberal position here would be, yes, you are a private organization, you have a right to do that, but I would rather you didn't and I will be judgmental. I will use the platform I have to express my disapproval of that. Uh, and that does make it a bit different from the, the traditional liberal argument here, which was that 
I remember ages ago when when free schools were first brought in. There was a free school that uh, that taught some religious content that was controversial, and there was a debate: should they be allowed to do that? I wrote an article saying yes, they should. It didn't even occur to me at the time to say anything about whether I personally agree with, uh, with it or not, because normally that used to be our style. We just talk about you should have a right to do this, you should have a right to do that. We talk about the rules of the game rather than what we think the players should do. Engaging in the culture war does mean we we have to step out of that comfort zone and and say, well, okay, this is within the rules, but don't do it. It's just it's still wrong. And that's where the culture war is a bit different, but we, we should still do it because these uh, traditional liberal arguments, uh, they come from a time when you have competing centers of power rather than this elite group thing that Wokery is. And we can't just ignore that. Harrison, we can't just ignore it. Why, why should we then uh, not engage? Uh, we certainly shouldn't ignore it, but I think the core issue of this argument is about our attempts past, present and future to make friends with people who are fundamentally opposed to us and to, to be in league with them, to take their side without properly rigorously questioning the, the premise of, of the actual discourse we've taken aside with them on. Uh, we should, as liberals, I think if we've got any hope in hell of getting anywhere whatsoever from our current position in the UK and the Western world in general, be very keen to state at least very broadly, what our principles are without an awful lot of consideration beyond the margin to the meta and political implications of it. We should say in any sphere and to any audience exactly what we believe and tailor it a little bit to what our audience is, um, but we shouldn't be making the case for economic freedom and trying in some way to uh, deceive someone or at least even deceive ourselves and betray our own principles by saying we're going to sell you this we're going to sell you this uh, economic idea and also yeah I'm with you on the culture war I don't like the woke or go to the woke and say yeah I love gay marriage and try and pretend that we're actually in league together when in fact I despise all of your economic principles um, when we've tried to do it in the past we've had limited success like in the fusionist era with Thatcher and Reagan but I think that's coming back to bite us now uh, alliances with the left, the idea of that died at the turn of the 20th century. Alliances with the right, I think, has now firmly died and it's buried. And we should, whether it's the culture war or anything else, quite frankly, state the truth, state our principles and hope that we can convince people in the long run. Otherwise, let things fall where they may. Mark, final thoughts. So I agree with Harrison that we need to argue in a foundational way for liberal values and part of the reason we're, we're having the problems we have both in relation to economics but also now in terms of cultural politics is that there are virtually no people out there at the moment who have a liberal understanding of what it is to be human and the rights that follow or should follow naturally from an acceptance of the reality that we are free beings uh, with agency. So we have to get back to fundamental principles and try to persuade uh, future generations of this in exactly the same way that liberals had to do this, uh, you know, uh, around the time of the Reformation and then later the European Enlightenment, um, periods before which uh, which were dominated by mystical and authoritarian ideas, uh, not entirely dissimilar from the type of ideas uh, we are now seeing resurfacing uh, through particularly postmodernism. But let us be under no illusion that we really do have to fight this fight in the short term, and we sometimes have to do it in alliance with people who disagree with us on economics or other issues, because we are up against a very sinister authoritarian force which is pursuing a logic which is inimical with liberal democracy, let alone liberal economics. If the current trajectory continues, then it will be impossible for us and future generations to actually engage in the contestation of ideas because the left is now, the contemporary left, is now about colonizing 
establishing state control over the means of communication. And when that happens, then in fact, uh, the game is lost. Rain. The, cult the culture clearly is sort of two, two sides of authoritarianism and we're seeing, I, I, I think that Mark is entirely correct in, in his um, depiction of the left as this authoritarian, um, a sort of pro-woke, pro-social justice warriors, cultural Marxism, if you will. Um, but I don't think that the solution then is to uh, be in partnership with those that also are arguing that the state should be, should be combating this. I think that what we should be doing instead is actually opening ourselves up to the liberal values and only sticking with those and arguing those principles. And actually, I think we'd have a lot more people on board with us on the economics if we stuck to what we believe in, and that is, that is liberal values. Well, there we have it. Thank you so much, uh, Christian, Mark, who've on the affirmative side, Harrison, Reem, on the negative side on this question about should liberals engage with the culture war. It's now over to you, the viewers, to decide whether or not you agreed or disagreed or had a completely different view. Uh, please do comment in this video uh, to, to give your opinion on whether or not liberals should engage in the culture war, and if so, how that engagement should be taken. Uh, thank you so much. This has been an Institute of Economic Affairs special debate. If you're enjoying it, please do subscribe uh, on YouTube or visit our website, iea.org.uk to learn more about us.